you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, would you open it with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we are going to be this morning. It is just one of the best and most exciting days of the year here at Lake Murray, and it is a joy to have the opportunity to open God's Word together. When Allison and I, my wife and I, were on one of our early dates, so we had been dating maybe uh, not very long. We were on one of our early dates since we were just kind of getting to know one another. I remember we were just kind of asking some get to know you questions. And I don't remember where this question came from. I may have read it somewhere and just tried to like use it to sound really smooth or something. But I just asked my then girlfriend, now wife, I just said, hey, what was one of your favorite books growing up? And she started to talk about this book that she had read as a child about a little bear that takes a bath and it's little bear doesn't want to take a bath and little bear's mom tries to help the little bear take a bath, but little bear just won't take a bath. And I just remember like, even as she was describing this book, I just remember thinking in the back of my mind, just like bookmarking that for later. And so fast forward about a year, we were coming up on her birthday and I remember thinking to myself, I've got to get the like perfect gift. And I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was going to find a copy of Little Bear Takes a Bath and I was going to wrap it up and I was going to present it to her and then just wait for the tears to flow, right? Like it was just one of those great moments. So I started to look for Little Bear Takes a Bath and I couldn't find it anywhere. Like there were some other books that were kind of like it, but it was like, no, no, it's not quite that. And so I went back and I Googled, like tried to find like what year she was born and then thought, okay, let's find a book about a bear that takes a bath that was written around that time. And I found one And I remember thinking, this is it. And so I clicked to buy it and it was no longer in print. And so I was like, okay, well, what am I gonna do now? So I started to research a little bit more. And finally, I found that there was a publisher in London that still had a copy of Little Bear Takes a Bath. Now, I don't know whether you know this or not, but if you order a book from a publisher in London, it's a little bit more expensive than if you order it on Amazon, but I'm committed at this point. Like I was like, I'm, this, I'm in it now, in it to win it. And so I sent away for the book. It took several weeks for it to arrive. It got here. I was like, this is awesome. I wrapped up Little Bear Takes a Bath and it was like the culminating moment of her birthday. And so we took, I took her out, we went to dinner. I gave her all the rest of the gifts. We were coming to the end of the evening and I said, oh, I forgot. I just played it off. I forgot. I got one more gift for you. And so I went back to my room and I got the gift and I handed it to her. And then I just stood back and I just waited for my moment, right? And she unwrapped it and she took it out and she looked at it and she said, what is this? (laughs) I said, it's the book. Little Bear Takes a Bath. And she was like, I've never seen this book before in my life. And I was like, what do you mean? And upon further investigation, it was actually puppy takes a bath and it was at her parents' house all along. Like I didn't need to do any of those things. And I just remember like thinking in that moment, like, oh, I'm such an idiot. And she was very gracious and kind and was just like, it's fine. Like it was so sweet that you were thought- thoughtful that you did this. It's the, it's the thought that counts, right? And all of us probably have been in a moment like that where something like that has happened. And it's the sentiment though. It's the feeling behind it that really counts. And what we celebrate this morning is perhaps the defining belief of Christianity, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one by whom, through whom, and in whom all things were created, that he became human, that he was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life, performing many signs and wonders across his earthly ministry, who willingly gave himself up to suffer and to die a sinner's death on a cross and was buried in a borrowed tomb. But this Jesus 
we celebrate this morning was raised from the dead by the power of God on the third day because death could not contain him because it had no power over him. And it is this resurrection that is the defining belief of Christianity. And it's in the resurrection of Jesus, the truth that he is risen, that we have hope and life this morning. You see, had Jesus stayed dead, He would be no different than any of the other countless martyrs, countless religious martyrs throughout history. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, crucifixion at the time happened to hundreds, if not thousands of people carried out by the Roman Empire. The purpose of the cross was to erase a man from human history. It was an instrument of torture that was meant to dehumanize and destroy, which is why we don't know the names of anyone who was crucified before Jesus was crucified. But we know the name of Jesus, not because he was crucified, but because he rose and is alive today. And because of that, the cross is no longer an instrument of death, but it is a symbol of life, true life that transcends death and the grave. Now, over time, some have sought to strip Christianity of any of its supernatural elements. And they would look at Jesus and they would say, you can have Christ and Christianity apart from the miraculous or the supernatural. That that it's the teachings and example of Jesus that stand on their own apart from his resurrection that help us to be better people. That Jesus just came to show us how to be kind and how to be moral and how to be good. And they would say, if the believing Jesus rose from the dead helps you to become a better, nicer, or more moral person, then it doesn't really matter if Jesus rose from the dead because it's just the thought that counts. But we believe this morning that the resurrection of Jesus is more than sentiment. It's the defining belief of Christianity. You see, if if we don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then who cares what the Bible teaches about morality or sexuality or history or justice or judgment? If it's all just sentiment, And if Jesus really wasn't raised, then you believe what you want and I'll believe what I want. You see, because if Jesus is not raised, then we have no right to attempt to evangelize or apply our standard of belief to anyone else. But if he did rise, and if he is alive this morning, then who he is and what he taught matters more than anything else in the world. You see, everything hinges on the resurrection. If Jesus raised from the dead and is alive today, then that is the ultimate proof of his identity as the son of God. And it's the ultimate validation and vindication of all that he said and taught. This is why Paul writes to the church at Corinth that the resurrection is an issue of first importance. It's not a neat factoid. It's not a cute anecdote. It is the foundation upon which our faith And our belief and our salvation is founded. The cross and the resurrection work together. The cross was Jesus' victory and the resurrection his vindication. Paul says this is of first importance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 6, he writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. You see, for the Apostle Paul, the historical, verifiable, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ was an issue of first importance then and is an issue of first importance now. One theologian has said it this way, if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And Paul will go into this in these next verses to help us see the importance of the resurrection here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so I want us to read together 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12. I just want us to read 10 verses here in the middle of the chapter where Paul speaks about the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised." For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. So there's two questions I want us to answer. I think two questions the Apostle Paul is really trying to answer here in 1 Corinthians 15, this section at least. Here are the two questions. They're pretty straightforward. The first is this. If Christ is not raised, what is true about us? If Christ is not raised, what is true about us? And then secondly, because Christ has been raised, what is true about us? If he is not raised, what is true about us? But because he has been raised, what is true about us? And what I think we'll see this morning as we look at these verses is that the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. It's the assurance of our forgiveness And it is our hope beyond this life. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith, the assurance of our forgiveness, and our hope beyond this life. But let's let's begin here in verse 12. Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Some were teaching that no one had been raised from the dead. And Paul says, Well, if that's true then there are several things that you need to know if Christ is not raised from the dead. Uh, One of the things that I love about living in the South is we have our own kind of language here and our own kind of colloquialisms. And sometimes if you're not really from the South, we'll say something and you'll think it means one thing, but it actually means another. Example, when someone in the South says, bless your heart, 
You know, like if you're from above the Mason-Dixon line, you're just like, oh, well, that's really nice of you. But if you're from the South, you know when somebody says, bless your heart, you know, like, oh, bless them. Like, bless their heart. You know, that, there's some, like, pity in that, right? Many of you responded a moment ago when I told the story about the book, like, oh, bless him, he's an idiot. Um, like, that, that kind of just, like, pity, you know? Like, oh, oh, bless their heart. Paul writes to the church at Corinth here that if Jesus is not res- raised from the dead, they are worthy of the greatest bless your heart in existence. Why? Paul says first in vo- verse 14 that if Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain. In verse 16, he writes, your faith is futile. The idea here is that apart from the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity is empty and worthless. Uh, Picture a a very expensive bottle of perfume, a bottle perhaps that costs thousands of dollars. Now, the value in this bottle of perfume is not found in the bottle itself, but in what the bottle contains, in the perfume itself. An empty bottle of perfume perhaps could be decorative, but it is robbed of what makes it valuable. Paul says here that apart from the resurrection, Christianity is an empty bottle. It's something that we can decorate our lives with or discard altogether, but it holds little or no value if Jesus is not raised. That's what it means for your faith to be vain or futile. It's something we can look at and decorate our life with or disregard altogether if Christ is not raised. Verse 15, Paul says that if Christ is not raised, not only is your faith in vain, if Christ is not raised, you actually, we are actually misrepresenting God. And we've all probably had the experience at one time or another in our life of being misrepresented. Uh, This happens to me daily. Like my kids will come and ask me something and I'll say, I'll give them an answer and then they'll go and they'll tell their mother some version of that answer that may not actually be exactly what I said. And I just have to go, no, 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 like that's not what I said. Uh, You're misrepresenting what I said. Paul writes that if we claim that God raised Jesus from the dead and he has not, then we are misrepresenting who God is and what God has done. And this is a serious offense. In a court of law, perjury is a significant crime, and it carries with it a hefty fine or sometimes even imprisonment to knowingly lie or misrepresent another person under oath is a serious offense. And so how much more serious of an offense would it be to misrepresent almighty God? To attribute something to God that he has no part in is a serious sin. And Paul goes on in verse 17 to say that if Christ is not raised, you are still in your sin. If misrepresenting God is a grievous sin, and it is, and Christ is not raised, there is no way then for that sin or any sin for that matter to be forgiven. You see, the cross and the resurrection are a two-step process of salvation. Imagine when you go home this afternoon for lunch or you come home from work at the end of the day and you find the door to your home locked and you take out your key. It is a two-step process for that door to become unlocked. You have to insert your key into the lock and then 
turn the key. There are two steps that get you into your home. Much the same here theologically in the death and resurrection. The death of Jesus was the first step of our salvation, but his resurrection is the second step. Without one or the end the other, you cannot have a forgiveness of sin. If there is no resurrection, we find ourselves on the outside of a locked door, barred from a relationship and eternity with God by our sin. And Paul says in verse 18 that if Christ is not raised, there is no hope beyond this life. He says, then those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, that they have perished, meaning that they have been destroyed or extinguished, that there is nothing to hope for beyond this life. He'll go on in verse 32 of chapter 15 to say that if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul says that if this life is all there is, and this life is all that there ever will be, then brothers and sisters, let us throw off all restraint Let us endeavor then to indulge ourselves on every pleasure, no matter how lewd or wicked, and seek to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart in vice and immorality. Why should we care about justice or compassion or creativity or beauty or service or stewardship or kindness or community if all we have is these 80 years to try to stuff our life full of everything we can get our hands on? If Christ is not raised, then those who have dedicated their lives to selfless, sacrificial, servant-hearted pursuit of justice and beauty and flourishing in the world in the name of God, they are to be some of the most pitied people on the planet because they have wasted their lives on a lie. But verse 20, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he writes it in such a way that it refutes everything that's come before. Paul writes, these things are not the case because, in fact, Christ has been raised. And because Christ has been raised, our faith is not futile. And we are not misrepresenting God. Our sins can be forgiven. And there is hope beyond this life. D.A. Carson, the New Testament scholar, once said that you are not suffering from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundational truth of our faith and our hope. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. But Paul goes beyond that. He goes beyond that to not just say that Christ has risen, which indeed he has, but listen to what he says at the end of verse 20. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Paul calls the resurrection of Jesus the first fruits. Now, this would have been very well known in an agrarian society. First fruits is an agricultural term. It denotes a sample of a crop 
that represents the rest of that crop. So let me just kind of contextualize. You ever been to Marble Slab or to Cold Stone, right? And you go and you see all the ice creams out there and you're like, hey, uh, let, me, let me get a sample of this one and a sample of this one. They bring you the little spoon, right? That sample spoon, you get a taste of what the whole bucket of ice cream is going to taste like. That's the first fruits. And so when Paul says Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits, what he's saying is profound. He's saying not only has Christ been risen from the dead, but because Jesus has been raised, so too one day will all who put their faith in him. You see, when Adam sinned in the garden, the punishment for his sin was death. And now we, as Adam's descendants, share in his death because of his sin and because of our own But because of Christ, death is now a defeated enemy, one that we no longer fear because we have faith in the one who has conquered it. Not only do we rejoice that we no longer fear death, not only do we rejoice that Christ has been raised, but we rejoice that one day we will be made like him. One theologian says it this way, that the incarnation means he became like us, but the resurrection means that we will become like him. For those who put their hope in Christ, they will one day experience a grand resurrection. Paul concludes his chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, by writing about this day that will come. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, what we celebrate this morning, the resurrection, is the foundation of our faith. It's the assurance of our forgiveness, and it is our hope beyond this life. The resurrection is foundational in its reality. It is the foundational truth of Christianity. Apart from it, we have nothing on which to stand except sentiment or perhaps insanity. But the truth of the resurrection provides us with a stable foundation of love and salvation and mission and purpose in Jesus. It is a present confidence and an eternal hope. It is a framework upon which to build our lives and pursue God's glory and others' good. We see everything now, everything we see through the lens of the resurrection. This is what C.S. Lewis is talking about when he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. If Jesus wasn't raised, if Jesus truly died, and it was the end of him on the cross, and he was not raised three days later, then brothers and sisters, let us find something else to do. Let us find somewhere else to go. But if he is alive, if he is alive, if he did die on the cross for our sins, 
and was raised for our salvation, then it vindicates his teaching and it confirms his identity as the son of God, the savior of the world. And the truth of the resurrection demands a response. And so this morning, what will you do with the reality that Jesus has risen from the grave? You can continue to reject it or resist it, revile it perhaps, and find somewhere else to go and something else to do. But if you truly believe that Jesus has risen from the grave, then it changes everything. Because if he has risen, then he is Lord. And if he is Lord, he is the only one who can provide salvation from sin. He is the only one who can give meaning and purpose to our life. He is the only one who can promise us an eternity. It all hinges on the resurrection. Do you believe? Would you bow your heads as we close this morning? I want to close in this way. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and we'll have folks at each corner of the room that are a part of our response team. These are men and women who would love to talk with you about what God has revealed to you this morning. Perhaps for the first time, you've never put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus. Perhaps you know that today the resurrection demands a response. And today you are ready to confess that you're a sinner separated from God by your sin. And you believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And you want to confess him as Lord today and follow him all the days of your life. If that's you this morning, I would just ask in just a moment, when we begin to sing, would you slip out from where you are? Make your way to one of the corners of the room. One of our folks would love to pray with you and share with you about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Today can be the day of salvation. But if you are a believer this morning, this is a marvelous day of reflection and remembrance and celebration where we celebrate and worship the one, the only one, who has lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, and rose from the grave in victory for salvation. And so as we worship this morning, as we bring our time together to a close, would you worship freely in spirit and in truth, singing to and celebrating the one who is our Lord and Savior. God, we thank you today. And we pray now as we close this service for any in this room who may have never put their faith and hope and trust in you. God, I pray that today might be the day of salvation. That they would draw near to you by your grace that they would recognize Jesus as their only hope, that they would repent of sin and confess you as Lord. But Father, I pray for all of us in this room, those who have already put our faith and hope and trust in you, that we would celebrate now your goodness and your grace and your glory revealed in the person and work of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray all these things. Amen. Would you stand as we respond?